Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. With us again today is Francis Ball. Francis, welcome back. It's nice to have you. It's always good to be back. Francis, we're looking at Genesis chapter 3 and a shadow of the first gospel presented to man. Can you give us a brief overview of this gospel presented by God himself and how it foreshadowed the real New Testament gospel? Yes, the gospel was first preached by God himself in the third chapter of Genesis, verse 15. Of course, before this, we realized there was a fall, and God came in to uh, expose man's sin, but at the same time, he gave a promise. And that promise is really the preaching of the gospel by God himself. It's strange because here God is speaking to Satan, but he's revealing his salvation to man. He speaks here of the seed of the woman and of the seed of the serpent, which is Satan. Of course, he says, the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head, and also that Satan will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman is Christ. Eventually, that seed is Jesus Christ himself. And also, he speaks that uh, he would bruise the serpent's head, and this was accomplished at the cross. So today, we see the first gospel preached and it was by God himself, and it gave hope to man in that he said that Satan's head would be crushed, even though Christ's heel would be bruised. When he died on the cross, that crushed the head of Satan. The execution of that will put Satan under the feet of the church, according to Romans chapter 15. But In this preaching of the gospel, it's very simple, very brief, but quite meaningful, and it really was the first opportunity God had after man's fall to present his purpose and his desire to deal with his enemy and to save man. It shows his loving care and what he intends to do with the enemy of God who caused man's fall. It's been pointed out to us that all the things in Genesis are a seed that's developed throughout the whole Bible and actually is harvested at the end of the Bible in the New Jerusalem. So this preaching of the gospel has as its goal the seed of the woman, which is Christ, becomes the center of the New Jerusalem. So from the seed in the garden to the center in the New Jerusalem, we have the full New Testament gospel typified and realized. Now today, we will see some further points on the way God deals with man's first fall in order to bring him into this wonderful salvation. Thank you, Francis. Let's join Witness Lee with today's life study of Genesis. We still need to uh, see some further points on the way of God to deal with man's fall. And tonight, the first point is the discipline of man by suffering. Not only 
man was with a troubled situation, but also something so sinful, as we have seen, has been injected into man's nature. So man not only got to be sinful outwardly, but also corrupted inwardly. God had no intention to condemn man. All God had in his heart was to love man. Man was fully under God's loving care. So what God did? God ordained some sufferings to man. Of course, none of us lacks this term, suffering. And uh, even we say, God ordained the sufferings. Isn't this awful? But, let me tell you, the ordination of sufferings by God to man is really a rescue, a protection. The purpose of suffering is to restrict man, number one. Number two, to rescue man by discipline. And number three, to guard man. Concerning the woman, suffering or pain in childbearing. And this includes two things, pregnancy and the delivery. It was not originally destined by God before the fall. It was due to the fall that God ordained such a portion of suffering to the leader in the fall. Childbearing is quite troublesome. We all know this. But this was ordained by God to restrict. The children are a restriction and a guard to the mothers. Plus, the good husband. The Lord says, if you have to be ruled over by your husband, then the portion of the suffering concerning man, firstly, the ground grows thorns and thistles. Well, so many of you are not farmers. You may say, Praise the Lord, I'm away from the ground. I tell you, uh-huh. regardless what can job, what can profession you are in, your profession is the ground. On this whole earth, there's no job, no profession without hardship. In every kind of a profession, every kind of job, the ground grows thorns. Well... In a sense, this is a suffering to the humankind, yet the humankind doesn't know this is God's mercy to protect, to maintain the mankind by the discipline with suffering. Francis, I'd like to ask you an experiential question because this kind of view of suffering is much different than we usually think of them. As a result of this revelation of why God would ordain suffering, have you had occasion to appreciate God's restrictions in your own life? 
God arranges this suffering as a real benefit to man because of sin and because of being able to restrict his conduct. I believe that in my personal experience and my upbringing I had in a little town in New Mexico was a kind of suffering under the Lord's loving restriction. As a boy, my brothers and I had paper routes. We had to be up at 5.30 every morning to deliver our papers to help the family's expenses. And this, I would say, was a very real practical restriction in my young life. By having to get up at 5.30 in the morning, I had to go to bed at night. And if I would try to stay up too late to do things that I shouldn't be doing anyway, I would suffer. So I believe this whole uh, training that I got was a suffering. And even this was a very practical restriction which kept us from being out in the dark. You know, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And I think that kind of a discipline kept me from practicing some evil things that I probably would have done. I really don't know how much evil we were kept from by just this one kind of restriction. And that kind of work was a kind of a ground to me. And that ground was cursed. It could never bring forth any fruit. So uh, I can thank the Lord for having certain kind of restrictions in my life. Suffering restricts us. Sleeping stops us. And dying terminates us. So these three things are really God's love toward us, to restrict us, to stop us, and even not to allow us to live our natural sinful life. This point that Brother Lee brought out is quite significant for our practical experience, that restriction really protects us. It surely is a new view. Thank you for those testimonies, Francis. Let's return now to Witness Lee in today's life study. Now, we come to a wonderful point. The anticipated redemption. But at that time, man and the woman, both of the couple, needed something of redemption. But how could they help themselves? They got sinful, and they knew that they were sinful. So they made a kind of a girdle skirt, apron, cover their nakedness. You know with what? with their own hand, plus the fig tree leaves. That didn't work, and that could never work. Anything after the fall of man, anything used by man of the vegetable life signifies man's doing without the bleeding of blood for redemption. Far in verse 20, for Adam's believing, Verse 21 comes for God's justification. Right away after Adam believed in God's great hating, God made coats of skin. Not made by Adam, nor by Eve, but by God. And God clothed them with the coats. For the skin was taken Surely some lamb was sacrificed, was killed with the bleeding of the blood. And I believe God did that killing just in front of Adam. God 
God to kill the lamb. And they saw the killing. Maybe Adam would talk to Eve. Eve, do you know that should be our destiny? We should be killed. Because we got fallen. We commit sin. We transgress God's prohibition. If you see, God is killing these little lambs for us. Oh, how we should be thankful and grateful to all these little lambs. They are our substitute. One day, Jesus came. You all know this story. Behold, the Lamb of God. I tell you, John 1.29 is just a development of what? Genesis 3.21. In the eyes of God, at least, Jesus was killed there already. Hebrew 9.22 says, Without the bleeding of blood, there is no remission of sin. If you read the epistles in the New Testament, how many times the Apostle Paul mentioned about the blood? The blood, the blood, the blood. And Peter mentioned blood too. We are redeemed by the blood, the precious blood of God's land, ordained by God for us before the foundation of the earth. Even Christ was ordained before Adam's fall. Praise the Lord. We all can see a picture of the shedding of Christ's blood there in the garden. But, listen, if you read verse 20, don't forget this verse. After Adam heard the good tidings, right away, Adam gave his wife a name, living. Eve means living. They two were trembling, being afraid to be condemned to death. But all of a sudden, Adam heard the good tidings. We all heard that already. So Adam responded in a believing way. Adam said, Eve, living, you are not going to die. You are going to be living. It means Adam believed in the good tidings. The first time the Bible indicates the matter of believing is in Genesis 3.20. And the first believer in the glad tidings was Adam. Adam believed in God's glad tidings. And Adam had the faith. They were not going to die, but to live. Francis, can you explain why the name that Adam gave to his wife was an indication that he was the first example of a believer in the gospel? You know, that name Adam gave to his wife... After this uh, kind of uh, judgment, I would say, that God pronounced on man and on woman, actually the other way around, he pronounced a judgment on the woman, how she would suffer even in childbearing, and on man, how the ground would not bring forth, and then uh, the judgment on Satan, that he would be crushed. You would think by this that Adam would have been groaning and been uh, feeling very, very bad, expecting to die. And so you wouldn't expect him to give his wife such a name. But when he called his wife's name, he called her Eve. And that means living. So this shows that he believed God's promise that they would not die, but they would be living. 
Thank you, Francis. Let's return to Witness Lee and the conclusion of today's life study of Genesis. You have the ordination of the sufferings for discipline, to rescue, to restrict, to guard men. And you have also the anticipated salvation. Anticipated, yet surreal. But there is a practical problem. That is, how about the tree of life? Would the way to the tree of life still be open to these sinful people? Yeah, they got the anticipated salvation, but they haven't got the actual one yet. They still held the sinful nature. So God had to close the way to the tree of life until the full redemption will be accomplished. Then the way to the tree of life will be open again. This was why there is such a record that right after God prepared the anticipated salvation for man, God closed the way to the tree of life. By what way? It's quite meaningful. It was closed with the cherry bin and with a flaming sword. Three things. Cherry bin and the flame and the sword. So the way to the tree of life was closed by cherubim. Means what? Was closed by God's glory. God's glory would not allow the sinful man to touch him before the real redemption will be accomplished. Paul in Romans 23 says, we all have sinned and we all have become short of God's glory. Then flame, that means fire. In typology, fire signifies God's holiness. God said he is the very consuming fire. Anything common, anything sinful, anything dirty will be consumed by him. The consuming fire signifies God's holiness. So, the second thing that closed the way to the tree of life was God's holiness. Sword means to kill. And in Genesis 3, the killing indicates God's righteousness. And this indicates as long as man is sinful, man is not allowed to contact God by his glory, by his holiness, and by his righteousness until the Lord Jesus accomplished the redemption on the cross. On the cross, by the death, Christ answered all the requirements of God's glory, holiness, and righteousness. And his death fulfilled the requirements. So now what? So by his blood, a new and living way is open for us. Now by this new and living way, we have the boldness to enter into the very secret place where the tree of life is. Now, I say again, we can draw nigh to God. God is right here. Right where? God is right in our spirit. Turn to our spirit and enter into the holiest of holies. And here we can touch the fountain of life. 
Well, Francis, I'd like to ask you to develop this last section and more in the way of experience and simply of doctrine. And that is how the tree of life was barred to mankind following the first fall of man. But now the way has been opened and access restored to all those who believe today. This is really marvelous. To have such a picture open to us right at the beginning of the Bible is such a help to our faith. We realize this Bible is really the Word of God. When uh, Adam was barred from the tree of life, this was God's love toward man and his righteous requirement. And it was impossible for man to come now and eat the tree of life and live forever in his fallen condition. This would have been really terrible. So God restricted man. He put him out from the tree of life so that he could not reach it. Even the law, and later in the Old Testament, when you get to Exodus, the law really expresses the same principles that bar the way to the tree of life as was illustrated by this in chapter 3 of Genesis. And that is God's righteousness, God's holiness, and God's glory must be maintained. They cannot be offset. You can't ignore the fact that God is holy, God is righteous, and God is full of glory. So the barring of man in his sinful condition from the tree of life was an evidence of God uh, expressing these three attributes of his and also protecting man. So even in the law, as I mentioned, these three things are exemplified. God is righteous, God is holy, And God has glory that cannot be uh, ignored. These things must be satisfied for man to be brought into a relationship with God. In this particular case, I think we can all who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, because we realized these three attributes of God were really a block to our having a relationship with God. When Christ died on the cross, there was a sword that pierced his side. It's as though the sword that guarded the way to the tree of life in Genesis was sheathed in the side of the Lord Jesus, and out came blood and water. And this kind of uh, result of Christ's death satisfied God's righteousness, which was that sword. It satisfied God's glory in that Christ was absolutely sinless, perfect in every way, glorifying God. And also it satisfied God's holiness, which was illustrated by the flame of that uh, flaming sword that barred the way to the tree of life. But when Christ died, all this was satisfied. I'm not holy, but God is holy. I'm not righteous, but God is righteous. I don't have glory, but God is glory. So by satisfying this on the cross... I can be saved. I have received the Lord Jesus Christ as my substitute, as the one who bore every responsibility concerning these three attributes of God, which were illustrated by the flaming sword and the cherubim that guarded the way to the tree of life. So now, through Jesus Christ, we are made righteous, we are full of glory, and we have a holy nature. So the tree of life was barred to us by God's glory and God's holiness and God's righteousness, all of which had been offended. But now Christ has become both the tree of life and our access to the tree of life. 
This is more than marvelous, isn't it, Francis? Yes. I think we've covered in the past that the tree of life is Christ himself. Now we have access to feast on him, to eat the tree of life, to take him in. We now have a free access day by day, even hour by hour, I would even say minute by minute. We are free to partake of the tree of life because of what he did on the cross and because the way is now open for us to come to him. Thank you, Francis, for that encouraging fellowship. You have been listening to the Life Study of Genesis with Witness Lee. If you would like more information about this program, then please call 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Or write to Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. You can also send us email at radio at lsm.org. For a free download of this program, or to find more information, visit us online at lsm.org. If you've enjoyed what you've heard from this Life Study of Genesis, then we encourage you to freely distribute this program. It's available in MP3 format. Again, it can be downloaded from lsm.org free of charge. Yeah.